0: Good morning. I hope you are well, and I appreciate that you're joining us for Lesson 2 of uh, our study in Romans. Uh, it's been a good week, at least for me and my family. Um, we see the seasons are changing. We've seen some frosty mornings. Um, currently, while I'm I'm recording this, I've got to watch the sun come up and, and see it off the clouds. It's been beautiful, and, and just looking at God's creation, just uh, really Starts my day off very well. Um, there was something I wanted to add about our, on our lesson last week, and uh, so I'd like to, to say that now. And in introducing this letter and talking about uh, Rome and the Roman Empire, I want us to keep something in mind here. Uh, the Roman Empire no longer exists. As great as it was and as much as they had conquered throughout the world, They no longer exist. But God's word and the letter to the Romans and the church is still with us today. I want you to kind of keep that in comparison as we uh, go along here. And and keep it in mind that um, great things that man does come and go. But God and, and his word continue. Okay, so this morning... We're going to be uh, back into chapter 2. This is lesson 2. And in our first lesson, Paul was introducing himself and talking to the entire church in Rome. Now this week, we're going to see Paul in kind of a different uh, role here. He's going to take the gloves off and dive in like a bare-knuckled prize fighter. It gets a little rough. Um, But who is he challenging in this? Well, he's challenging his fellow Jews. Paul is addressing what must have been a problem in this Roman congregation that was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. Now, keep in mind that every time you hear Gentile, think about yourself, you and I. Anybody that was not a Jew was labeled Gentile. Paul needs to deal with this attitude of superiority before moving on to other things. He understood that there were a number of distinctives that gave the Jews a sense of superiority over the Gentiles. Now, why do they have this sense of superiority? Well, after all, didn't God choose them as a nation over all others? They had a national covenant with God, and he had given them his law. He had focused so much of his attention on them. They were the chosen people. Well, Paul understands what it means to be self-righteous. When you have a feeling of of, uh, superiority over things, you are being self-righteous. And they are very much uh, in that mindset. And Paul understands it because he's speaking from experience. He had walked in their shoes. Paul was raised in the best schools He had studied and learned the law from the best rabbis, from from being a child all the way to young man. Now, when I say law from the rabbis, I'm not talking about law as in court of law with attorneys and judges, but rather the law God had given the Israelites after leaving the captivity of Egypt. Paul knew these inside out. He had been a law-keeping, self-justified Jew. He was on his way to being at the top of the hierarchy in Jewish society. Not only that, but he was a Roman citizen able to use his rights and privileges to his advantage when dealing with the Roman authorities. Now, we didn't see much of that until later on uh, when he was being held captive during his journeys that uh, he actually appealed to uh, Rome to be brought before the government there and speak his case. Uh, Before that, we really didn't see him use that right and privilege very much. So, uh, as we start into our lesson this morning, let's listen to Paul speak. We're in chapter 2, verse 17. I hope you've got your Bibles open and you're ready to follow along. We'll be stopping uh, every so often to uh, discuss some things. All right, verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God... And know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Okay, let's stop here and dive into what he's talking about here. Paul is spelling out the numerous ways that these Jews feel above others, superior. And he does it in a backhanded way. He's pretty stern in this. Now, note that the terms the blind, the foolish, the immature were all commonly used by the Jews to refer to non-Jews. It was a kind of a slanderous way of talking about them. Paul is not complimenting them in any of this. In all these actions spelled out here, the Jews had a tendency to elevate the law in a way that God never intended as they focused on the externals of obedience to the law that left out a personal relationship with God. They were just so focused on the law and and not God. They had a work around for so much of the law, a way to bend it and justify their actions. Um, you know, we, we even do that today. We find little ways to justify our actions. Well, that law's really not intended for me, and, and, and it's not hurting anybody. Well, that's not right. So even today, we as Christians can get so caught up in the external matters of our faith, church attendance, ministry duties, and the like, that we get distracted from maintaining our own personal relationship with Jesus which should be our highest priority every day. Not just on Sunday, not just when we're doing a Bible study, but it should be our highest priority every day. As Paul is listing these assets of superiority, which had led to their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Now, that's a word we don't like, especially if it's applied to us. Paul is trying to make a main point. Unrepentant Jews are just as guilty before God as unrepentant Gentiles. Paul is showing them that although they had boasted of their standing with God, there was no similarity between their claims and their actions. Who better than Paul to talk directly from experience to his fellow Jews and meet them on their own ground? In verse 24, Paul paraphrases from Isaiah 52.5 when he says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Their hypocrisy was so plain that even the enemies of God could recognize it. Let me ask you this. Can we apply these words to ourselves? The world loves to tear us down as Christians by calling us hypocrites. They watch our actions, our conduct, looking for us to stumble, which we will at times. And I hope it never happens to you, but if it does, what do you do? Well, I suggest you take responsibility for your actions, shrug off the mocking of the world, humbly repent, and continue your walk with Christ. Satan may have won that skirmish, but we know Christ wins the war of light versus dark, and we must not give up. All right, so now let's go into verse 25. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Undoing what's been done. So circumcision was a sign of the covenant God had made with Israel in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. For the Jew, circumcision was considered a guarantee of God's favor and blessing. Okay, remember that feeling of superiority? Now, the Greek of this verse is much more forceful than our English translation. The literal translation says, If you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become nothing more than a foreskin, something to be thrown away. Their disobedience of the law had made them exactly like a Gentile lawbreaker. Okay, verse 26. So, if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So, he's saying the opposite of the previous verse is also true. When the Gentiles obeyed the law, it was as if they were circumcised. Remember, because it's in their heart. Verse 27. And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Paul writes that a Gentile who is not physically circumcised, but obeyed the law, brought condemnation on the Jew because the Jew has the higher standard, which was, written, which was the written law. He says it's not the physical ritual that matters, but rather the inward transformation of the heart, a circumcision of the heart, cutting out the the sin, the wrong, that's there. Paul's thought was that having a circumcised heart characterized by righteousness and commitment to God fulfilled the spirit of the law. Many Jews went through the motions, but their hearts were not right with God. Paul closes out this argument by saying that a person with circumcision of the heart will receive his praise from God, not men. This brings to mind Luke 18 verses 9 through 14. And I'm sure you remember this. Jesus is is talking there. And uh, Luke records it. And uh, verse 9 says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God! God! I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, Be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. These are words we really need for ourselves each and every day. Okay, so now we're into chapter 3, and uh, let's start in verse 1. Read along with me. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be, rather, that God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking in human terms. May it never be, for otherwise how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. So in the previous chapter, we had uh, seen that Paul had just got done proving to the Jewish brethren that they had failed the privilege and responsibility of being entrusted with God's law. Now, Paul brings their attention to the faithfulness of God, even when we have a lack of faith within us. Paul will expound on that theme later in chapters 9 through 11, so we'll get there too. But in verse 3, Paul is saying exactly that concept. He's emphasizing that God's faithfulness in the face of the Jews' unfaithfulness. Now, in comparison to his spotless integrity all people do appear as liars. We are sinners. Paul paraphrases Psalms 51:4 to underline his thoughts. So in verse 5 starts the next argument that Paul knows they will bring up. Well, if our sin demonstrates God's faithfulness, is it right that we be punished? Paul says, by no means. How else is God to judge the world? Verse 8 repeats the argument, and Paul makes a statement that God's condemnation is just. So now we start into verse 9. Now, as we get into this, it's going to be a lot of, of uh, paraphrases and quotes from the uh, Old Testament. And we'll speak on those here. Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Now, he's talking about Jews versus Gentiles. Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes." So in these verses, Paul is emphasizing that all people, both Jews and Gentile, are guilty and condemned before God. In verses 9 through 12, he is underlining the universality of humanity's sin several times. Paul did not want his readers to miss the point. The Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin and deserve to be expelled from the presence of God. To prove his point, Paul quoted or paraphrased Old Testament passages that proved his accusation. Now, if you remember, I said that Paul had been raised uh, and taught by some of the best rabbis. Um, he was, he was a, a wonderful student, as he shows here. I mean, just the fact that he can put together all of these uh, quotes and paraphrases from the Old Testament, Uh, and put them together in an argument. That's pretty amazing. He uses six passages from Psalms and one from Isaiah, threading them like a string of pearls to prove his argument. Now notice in these verses, 9 through 18, that Paul mentions the throat, tongue, lips, mouth, feet, and eyes. In other words, the whole person is infected. No part of our nature remains unstained by sin. In verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes is exceptionally important. If anyone feared God, it should have been the Jews. But they didn't, and their lives were symbolized by arrogance and folly. But that leads us to ask ourselves, how easily could my life be one of arrogance and folly if I take God for granted And lose focus on who we are in Christ. If we've lost that sense of wonder over the depth of God's grace for us. In spite of our sin. Then it is a good time for self-examination. Compare God's grace with the sin of our life. Okay, so let's go into verse 19. So Follow along with me. Now. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Notice in verse 19 where he says, to those who are under the law. His readers were under the law in the sense that they were obligated to obey and heed it. They were accountable to the law because of their accountability to God himself. Paul again points to every person in the world. No one is in a position to argue sin away or make excuses. The law invalidates all rationalizations. Ask yourself, do I make excuses for my spiritual failures? Paul closes out this section by pointing out that the law was never a means of attaining righteousness before God. Instead, the law was given to make people aware of their sin. And once we are aware of our sin, then we can seek a solution to the problem. The law, written on the hearts of all, shines a spotlight on our need for a Savior. If you do not believe that you have sin, then why seek a Savior? Okay, that's why so many people don't seek out God. They do not believe that anything is wrong. But in actuality, if we know the law, if we know God's word, it is pointing out our need for that Savior. We're at the end of our lesson for this morning, and I want to review some very personal questions that Paul has brought out for us. And this is a life application that I hope we get from this lesson. These are very important, so please listen. I want you to apply them to yourselves. First, is there hypocrisy in my life? Do my actions or thoughts go opposite of what I teach and say? You know the old saying, do as I say, not as I do. Well, that's the reason right there. Okay, second, in our actions... Who are we looking at for praise? The world or God our Father? Who does a child look at for approval first? His father. He wants his father's approval. So why do we try to please the world instead of our father, our spiritual father? Okay, third question. Does God consider me faithful to him? Now think on that and answer it to yourself. What does God think of me? Fourth, have I taken God for granted and lost my focus? Number five, do I make excuses for my spiritual failures? These are all very deep questions that we must ask ourselves on a regular basis. Ask themselves as a self-examination, come up with your own answers, And then say, am I lacking in something? What do I need to do? These are things that we can apply to ourselves on a daily basis. And I I ask you to, as you're looking at God's word, to to apply it to yourself and and ask these five questions. I want to thank you very much for joining me this morning. It's always a pleasure to be with you, even in this way. It's certainly been a blessing for me to share this lesson with you and, and for myself to dive into studying, and I look forward to lesson three and ask that you read the rest of chapter three and chapter four to prepare. Uh, You may even go as far as to read the whole book of Romans. Read it as a letter. Uh, Bob Lawrence encourages us to do that each time, and and that's a a good point. So please don't hesitate to contact me with comments on anything in our study. if, If I've misspoke, misquoted something, or you have questions, please reach out to me. I hope that God blesses you and keeps you safe, and have a good week. Goodbye.